0: potential, and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today who's helping to create a better tomorrow. Uh, we have the honor today of being joined by Dr. Jennifer Ogier, who is Vice President of Medical Science and Innovation at Antech Diagnostics, which is one of the world's largest reference laboratory networks. It's a unit of Mars Veterinary Health, part of the, the Mars company, the uh, uh, multinational manufacturer of confections, but also one of the largest producers of pet food in the world. Uh, Dr. Ojir is also the chair of the board of directors of Veterinarians Without Borders, uh, which is a a fascinating organization that works with uh, governments and NGOs, educational institutions, local communities, farmer groups, different international agencies, ultimately, to try and tackle root cause issues affecting public health, animal health, and ecosystem health uh, in developing communities around the world. And we'll be getting into the One Health topic with her. Uh, Dr. Ojir. additionally to that, is also vice chair of DVMC, Diversified Veterinary Medicine Coalitions, working to bring uh, greater diversity into the veterinary profession. Uh, Dr. Ojir is a graduate of the Ontario Veterinary College, University of Guelph, Canada. She completed her emergency medicine and critical care residency at University, uh, Angle uh, Memorial Animal Hospital in Boston, and has a master's of science degree in critical care from Ontario Veterinary College. Uh, Dr. Ojir is a highly experienced residency trained emergency and critical care veterinarian. She has a diverse background in clinical practice, academic teaching and education, research and business management. Uh, she has served as a professor uh, at uh, University of Guelph, University of Saskatchewan, and Texas A&M universities, uh, and is also an active member of the veterinary community, publishing many uh, peer-reviewed journals uh, uh, and conducted research on in hospital-acquired infections, has developed protocols for infectious disease outbreaks, management, prevention. She does a lot, and we're really lucky to have her. <laughs> uh, Dr. Jennifer Ogier, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today.
1: Thank you, Ira. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And what an honor to be one of your invited guests. You are in your own right an icon. And so I'm just honored to be and humbled to be part of sort of the guest list that you do on your podcast. So thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Um, you know, I, I would love to start things off like we typically do on the show by handing you the floor, actually, for a little bit, just to, to talk a little bit more about you. Uh, everything from uh, where you grew up, uh, when you first uh, found out that you loved uh, working with animals, that you were interested in healthcare, and a little bit of that early career journey. I think that'd be a great way to uh, to start things off.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Ira. So uh, I grew up actually in a small island in the Caribbean called Trinidad and Tobago. And um, I actually always dreamt of becoming a veterinarian, much to the dismay of my parents. I started off, even as a young girl, I remember as early as nine or 10 years of age, trying to really save every rescued dog or cat or stray animal I could find that was injured or sick. And so Both my mom and my sister are actually caregivers and nurturers, they're both registered nurses as well as midwives. So I grew up in an environment of sort of thinking medically about how can we take care of people, but also pets and communities around us. And so I was really inspired by having, you know, really good role models from an early age, particularly with my mom. And I was fortunate after I finished my bachelor's in chemistry and biochemistry to move to Canada and got a scholarship to study veterinary medicine at the Ontario Veterinary College in Canada and really pursue my passion to help animals, people, and fundamentally, I would say, serve the communities that I lived in. And so, as you already well delineated, Ira, I had a very extensive career um, in emergency medicine and critical care as a professor training young doctors, you know, how to, you know, manage themselves and deal with high stress environments in an ER, but also deal with people in you know what I would call highly emotional situations with critically ill patients. And that taught me a lot. Um, I did that for more than two decades prior to doing my executive MBA and uh, moving into the corporate sector. And so currently now I work as the Vice President of Medical Science and innovation at Antec Diagnostics, which is part of Mars Pet Care. And I would say throughout that long journey I've had over more than five decades now, I have really tried to be a resilient and strong female role model not just for my students and my junior colleagues but really just think about everyone that I've met along the way who might be challenged or has dealt with obstacles so they too can find their path their journey in life and follow their dreams and hopefully succeed as well.
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, you know Jennifer I before the show I I, I went into um, sort of your, uh, your, your broad portfolio of peer-reviewed literature. And, you know, it's, in addition to, you know, what you're just mentioning about your, your experience in critical care and emergency care, you know, you have published on uh, drug-resistant E. coli, mm-hmm. uh, kidney disease in dogs, hyperthyroidism in cats, um, a really broad purview. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, about a year or so ago, I, I had one of your colleagues uh, on an episode, uh, Dr. Angela Hughes, which first introduced us to some of the, the really advanced tools that you're working with in terms of genomics, wearables, digital health, uh, AI, uh, I think you published a bit on that as well. Yes. T- t- talk a little bit. Uh, introduce us a little bit to Antech, um, and also just thinking of some of these advanced tools that we primarily, I go to the doctor's office, I don't, I don't get any of that stuff. Um, talk a little bit about what you're dealing with and, and, and some of the, uh, what you're excited about in terms of uh, diagnostics, in terms of uh, cytology, of uh, parasitology, uh, the, the complex hematology work that you do and, and some of these advanced uh, healthcare uh, digital interventions.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things about the benefit of diagnostics, particularly in veterinary medicine, era, is that our patients don't speak to us. So really, when we're trying to understand physiologically or pathophysiologically, what is the underlying disease process or the health status of that patient, really diagnostics are a key to sort of helping us get that window of uh, or that lens of sort of understanding what's going on with those patients. And I think Antech really has been driving the future of pet health as part of Mars Pet Care itself. You mentioned this, right? Mars Pet Care really has been the world's leading pet nutrition and pet care company. They've been supporting research and incredible science and technology and human and animal interaction. But we also want to drive research based on data, science, and technology. And and part of the heart of what we do at Antech is really thinking about our love for pets, but also thinking about those pet parents and what are we doing as we think about the human-animal bond to support through innovative technologies backed by scientific rigor and all these data-driven insights, how do we create those moments where veterinarians can have consultation with those pet parents and their teams to really improve health and well-being are the pets that we all live with and that we love, right? They've become our fur babies. They are our best friends and our family members. And I think more so than ever during COVID-19 and this pandemic, where we've all been dealing with social isolation and loneliness, our pets have become a really important part of our day-to-day existence, providing us with emotional and psychological benefits. And what we've been doing at Antech for more than 30 years, if we have really been committed to how do we use innovative technologies to really set new standards of care and really standards of care in terms of diagnostic medicine and imaging, as well as education that allows us to provide veterinarians with the tools they need to have a better window into the understanding of what is that pet's health status
0: and you know along those lines you mentioned you know covid-19 uh, i i i you know, saw a piece that you championed very early in in, in the in this horrible pandemic, the uh, COVID-19 pet surveillance program uh, to yep. openly testing our pets for coronavirus. It is early in, I think, 2020. Talk mm-hmm. just a little bit about how you went about setting that up, the history behind it, and and, and what that was like at the, uh, you know, obviously we had this human pandemic hitting us, but uh, you, you focused very early on, on looking at the pets as well.
1: Yeah, and I think when we start thinking about um, COVID-19 in the context of being a global pandemic, we have to bring in that concept era of One Health, right? Which is really this multidisciplinary approach of how we think about human, animal, and environmental health. And that really is something that I think is an underlying principle of what we do as well with veterinarians at all borders. But, you know, when we think about One Health, it really is how do we take these collaborative efforts and this multidisciplinary approach, whether it's locally, nationally, or internationally through a number of specialty organizations and, you know, maybe it's infectious disease specialists, it's medical specialists, it's social scientists to really attain optimal health for people, animals, and our environment. And so one of the things that we did during COVID-19 is we Started a surveillance program and subsequently developed a commercial test that allowed us to better understand the dynamics of virus transmission from humans to animals of the SARS coronavirus 2. And I think that was important for us because there was a lot that we don't know. I will also say there's a lot we're still learning as we're seeing new variants emerge from this virus, which is not unexpected. Viruses constantly mutate whether we're going to see a delta virus your micron virus or who knows what the next one will be and veterinarians have been pioneers, right? When you look back at sort of the CDC and some of the early pioneers, Charles Swartz and others, we have been pioneers in One Health. We've been dealing with zoonosis and infectious diseases throughout all of our career. And so this idea of how do we think about testing so we're better able to understand this dynamics of virus transmission so we actually alleviate the fear from the public, but we also better inform pet owners on what they need to do in order to you know, essentially protect their pets, but also to understand that if they are COVID-19 positive or a suspected COVID-19 positive person, what, is the, what are the implications for their pet? And certainly all the positive cases we've identified have only come from those households where people have tested positive or suspected positive. And, you know, these animals have actually been mildly ill. There's not been evidence at all that there's been animal to human transmission. It's all been because humans have been positively tested and are Mm -hmm. infected and they've passed it on to animals. And we know in particular cats have what's called an ACE2 receptor, which is very similar in terms of what we see in humans. So their susceptibility level is higher. So we've actually been doing a seroprevalence study with one of the key thought leaders in this area, um, Dr. Scott Weiss, to really evaluate what is the seroprevalence of this disease in our companion animal population, particularly in cats. And I think being able to do that testing and better understand the virus prevalence amongst humans and how that actually is being transmitted to animals gave us a lot of information so we could alleviate the fears that people had about their pets. Mm-hmm. And also, know that if their pets were positive, that you know, really they were not going to get ill and that they needed to just continue to manage them in the guidelines of the CDC, which was, you know, keep them socially isolated as we do with ourselves, keep them indoors, away from other animals, and continue to practice good hygiene, good hand hygiene and sanitation. And ultimately, I think what it led to was just a better understanding of what is always an unknown, right? We mm-hmm. when we're dealing with these epidemics or emerging diseases, we're never actually quite sure what is the threat? And as we we are able to uncover that information through data, the science, and the technology, particularly molecular diagnostics, we were better able to inform the public. We were better able to share that information with public health and governmental officials, key thought leaders in the area. But I think fundamentally what it led to was confidence in people understanding that their pets weren't going to ill as a result of this virus and die. And so it relieved a lot of fear and anxiety and concern that people had about the unknown of this virus.
0: It, it, it's so very interesting thinking about because we normally think of zoonosis as, you know, here's some animal and boom, it, it's getting us sick. Uh, and I don't know if you had a chance to uh, just let uh... Maybe about two weeks ago I did this episode with um uh Dr uh Kalima uh, Zagasoka in, in Uganda uh, yes. and she was talking about you know she deals with gorillas and you know you don't really think okay we think things like Ebola and whatnot in, in Africa uh, coming one way but she has all these horrible stories about these people that are getting too close to the gorillas and the gorillas are getting sick with all these human diseases I'm just I'm, I'm very interested in um uh you know you are the chair of of Veterinarians Without Borders um Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you have all your responsibilities here, uh, taking you know, care of everything at Antec. But what are some of the other I mean, are there, are there interesting stories? Obviously, you know, we have, we have cats and dogs here. Uh, no, we probably don't have any gorilla pets. But any interesting stories related to other things? Ta- I mean, I, we're a bird family. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if anything interesting there that you see. But when you get out, and I know you go international and deal with some of these uh, hotspots, um, anything interesting on that front you can share with us?
1: Yeah, you know, I think, you know, through the work we've been doing with veterinary Style Borders, really our mission there has been around advancing human health and Mm -hmm. livelihoods in those communities. And they've been underserved and to some degree, even marginalized communities. And how do we create better animal health and husbandry for these communities through veterinary service, through education, and even sort of building a sort of stakeholder groups around them. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about your own family with birds, right? Well, we certainly know, you know, the bird flu was a great uh, sort of evidence of, you know, here's something that was happening in the, around in the animal population, African swine fever was another one. And so as we're seeing all these emerging diseases around us, how is it impacting what we're doing in terms of being better able to contain that disease? And I think, you know, bird flu and, and diseases like that sort of helped us better understand if we're able to educate and train people and set up opportunities for sustainable healthcare, and even sort of better agricultural practices and educate people, do we have a better opportunity to maybe uh, mitigate or even limit the chances of some of these uh, sort of epidemics or pandemics happening. And, and that's some of the work that we're doing, I would say, through veterinarians without our borders, We're trying to go into these communities and better serve them through, you know, prevention, control, emanation, whether it's something like let's vaccinate against rabies, let's vaccinate sure. against ca- uh, canine pivovirus, but let's do that in a way that allows us to also serve some public health yep. um, relevant that, you know, we're also protecting people. And so it's, again, taking that whole idea of, you know, this one health, you know, bringing people together in a way that it's human, animal, and environmental health. And so I think, you know, as we talk about, you know, what, what else can we do? And what are some of the interesting stories? Well, there's, there's certainly a lot of interesting stories, but they're interesting stories that I think, always bring us back to, it's critical that we recognize we live in a world where there are a number of other elements and interactions happening. And as we're able to better understand those and support those, through our efforts, you know whether it's through veterinary services, government funding, uh, public health, official interactions, animal health and welfare concerns, whatever we're doing, that we're better able to sort of expand our ability to get to these underserved areas and to better, um, I think, understand and diagnose disease. And a, and a key piece of all of this always is, can we early detect? and rapidly and accurately diagnose disease. And, and and this is where diagnostics has rather been really something that's very near and dear to my heart, because mm-hmm. having the ability to do that means we're much better able to actually intervene sooner, but also rapidly to be able to maybe s- to mitigate or lessen the spread of some of these diseases. So I think the, you know, the initiatives that we've taken to implement this adaptive one health approach through veterinary and start borders, whether it's in these more Isolated indigenous or even non-indigenous communities, it's really been around bringing human health and the elements of environmental health, climate change, and animal health together. So ultimately, we can deliver, you know, a better solution to some of these problems that have sort of we know have existed, but we've not been in a position to really address in a very collaborative and, I would say, actionable manner.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fascinating, it's, it's, it's a very elegant model. Uh, when when you when you listen to uh, listen to you talk about it, how all these pieces ultimately come together, and it's just it's it's very it's a very impressive uh, part of your story uh, as well. So, um, you know, one of the areas. Um, you know, the MARS organization has, has been a leading voice, part of the, the, the Diversified Veterinary Medicine Coalition. Um, yeah. You you were, I think it was in November recently, we're speaking at the, the Centers for Human Animal Bond Conference, uh, in, I think it was at Purdue. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, about this organization and, and just the general theme of the equitable access uh, to the human animal bond, extremely important in this uh, era of diversity, equity inclusion, to talk a little about this topic if you could.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so the DVMC, or the Diversified Veterinary Medicine Coalition, is really a group of animal health organizations um, and individuals who are very committed and I'll also say very passionate are coming together to really address these issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and also belonging in veterinary medicine. And really fundamentally, our goal has been to increase BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, and people of color representation in veterinary medicine. And hopefully, with doing that, we will improve access to quality care for more animals. But again, as I say, part of this is always about the service we provide to the communities and the communities we live in. And so that was established in 2020 to help meet the needs of the BIPOC community. And many of these under representative groups who are interested in pursuing um, an education in veterinary medicine. And so we wanted to bolster that at every step of people's journey from a very early age, uh, young individuals all the way to adulthood. So we set up a number of resources, we also have a website that you can go to. And we've been promoting tools and resources around a number of key areas, with diversity equity inclusion and belonging so scholarship um, which we will be um, launching next year through the thurgood marshall college fund we are also um, i'm chairing a mentorship committee so we can actually mentor and match mentors and mentees in the For BIPOC students, we're also wanting to ensure that veterinary professionals and even uh, veterinary paraprofessionals, you know, technicians or support staff, that they feel there is a culture of safety and belonging in our profession. It's an extremely high stress environment to be in with veterinary medicine. Veterinarians, unfortunately, have one of the highest suicide rates Hmm. of professionals. Um, And and I think what we're doing is we're trying to build a community where people have a, a sense of well-being. They feel supported. They have someone they can go to where they feel they can identify with that individual and have a conversation who understands the struggles they're feeling. And, you know, I will say for my own self as a criticalist, where I've always dealt with people in high emotional states and environments where, you know, a lot of times their their pets aren't going to live. I myself have also gone through, you know, compassion fatigue and emotional burnout and decided, you know, did I want to stay in this profession or not? And so can we, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is can we provide an environment where people feel that sense of caring and belonging and not leave the profession? And I think all of this sort of builds into the communications uh, platform that we're also building. So we're better able to not just... Talk about what we 're doing, but we're better able to share our viewpoints and bring people in so they understand that you know through our you know my own journey right I want people to understand that i uh, and, and all of the other members of the dvnc that people want that culture of safety and belonging particularly in the bipoc community that you know we do want to represent what the communities will look like we know years from now that the majority of individuals that live in the united states are going to be a multi-ethnic multi-racial, and multicultural society and people are looking for caregivers that they can Identify with that to some degree, you know, is from a background that they also come from. And I think as we work through sort of some of the barriers that have existed in allowing us to do that in veterinary medicine, we're identifying ways to sort of, you know, better move the needle forward. So our profession currently is 90% represented as white. How do we actually bring that forward in a way that it? better represents the communities we're going to serve.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Jeff, I want to ask you about one other um, area. You you sparked something in my mind before, um, and that had to do with aging. Um, You know, one of the uh themes that we touch on a lot on the show is is healthy aging and longevity and there's been i've done a couple episodes um where uh there are researchers that are beginning to focus on um not specifically uh the the diseases of aging themselves but sort of what happens upstream and how ultimately uh, we may be able to interfere with uh certain biologic processes that you know doesn't make your pet live twice as long, but compresses uh, morbidity. It's closer to the end of life. Um, And these are primarily uh, have been in dogs. Um, I was just wondering along your way, as you've been involved at the epicenter of some of these really comprehensive diagnostic tools, uh, have you seen anything interesting and just your general feelings about uh, pet aging uh, as a interesting uh, therapeutic area for intervention?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, Ira. I mean, I think what we're seeing on the human side is that we're living longer, yeah. right? In general, where we have better healthcare, we have better technology, and we're, we're able to live longer. So, what are we doing basically in terms of even epigenetics to better understand what is a pet's age, but also what can we do interventionally, whether that's therapeutically, nutritionally, or what we do in the environment of that pet to be able to support Support, you know, a better quality of life. And ultimately, with that, I would say maybe better survival time. So, really, you know, how do we mitigate or delay this onset of aging? And I think one of the things we have done recently, in, through a really co- collaborative effort within Mars Pet Care is we've started to really think about what are some of these predictive diagnostic tools. And so one of them we've developed is called feline renal tech. And it is a predictive diagnostic tools that allows us as veterinarians to predict whether or not a cat is going to develop chronic kidney disease up to two years prior to the onset of that disease. And that's significant because it is a fairly prevalent disease in cats. In fact, what we see is as cats age and become senior geriatric, the prevalence goes up to almost as high as 80%. And typically what happens is that pet owners only bring the cats in when they're sick or when they have advanced disease. And so it really limits our opportunity as clinicians to be able to do something for these pets. So as we think about our biomarker program and predictive diagnostics, are we better able to use AI right, augmented intelligence, machine learning, even natural language processing, to be able to say, are we able, in that healthy patient, to better predict disease prior to the onset, and in knowing that that patient might be one that is at risk of developing a certain serious life-threatening disease, are we able to develop a personalized care plan with interventions that allow us to be able to maybe delay the onset of that disease so for example cats with chronic kidney disease we know that if they have you know moderate to severe periodontal disease that is that increases their relative risk of developing chronic kidney disease and so are we able to develop dental care programs as veterinarians but so many of us also now live with our pets, right? They sleep with us. There are four babies. And so we probably have a pretty good sense of what their (laughs) teeth look like and their breath. So are we even able to sort of educate that pet owner on what is a good at-home oral care program, Mm -hmm. knowing that if we're able to better take care of Sort of the onset of advanced periodontal disease, we may actually be delaying the onset of something as serious as chronic kidney disease. So I think all of these, all of this information and all of this ability to be able to better predict certain diseases, but develop personalized care plans that ultimately may lead to, you know, delaying the onset of a disease, even identifying concurrent diseases that we know could predispose them to these serious diseases makes us better as diagnosticians. It makes us sort of more engaged with those pet owners on a deeper level, Mm -hmm. really sort of thinking about how do we strengthen that veterinarian, pet parent, pet relationship support the communication so they understand the benefits to their pet. And ultimately, you know, what that leads to is really we're sort of supporting the human-animal bond on a much deeper and I would say a much more impactful way.
0: Absolutely. Jennifer, coming back to you now, and you, you know, you you had mentioned before uh, sort of this theme of, of burnout. Uh, obviously, you know, you, you you've been extremely busy, uh, and, and along this this fascinating uh, career path you've been on, you you know, you've been at the top of industry in, in academia. You've worked with uh, governments, non governmental organizations. Uh, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned your parents. Uh, talk to us a couple of minutes about some of the the people that were there, other people that were there alongside you on this journey, uh, mentors, influencers, people that, you know, uh, help the, the, the moment that you said, I'm going to do this anymore. I said, no, you're, you're going to keep doing this. Uh, Take some time. Just a shout out to whoever you want to.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Ira. You know, I've had a phenomenal role models and mentors along my journey who I would say believed in me. Um, I was always an introvert, uh, so really surprising. I'm speaking to you now on this public forum, and uh, I had to find my voice. Right, I had they helped me figure out that you know, respect my individuality and uh, be proud of who I was and where I came from and to tell my story. And I think as I've learned through the support of those individuals who, you know, really encouraged me to continue to want to deliver on my higher purpose, which was, you know, how do I support people, pets and build communities through this purpose of higher love, gratitude and humility, I, I learned to be that person who could tell a story and not be shy and not be afraid that I sounded differently or that I had a different complexion, but I had taken that courage and that strength and that, that you know, I, I think that determination more than anything else and resilience from my role models to build this environment around me that would support, you know, the, Emotional intelligence, the cultural humility and wellness and kindness. And at the same time, you know, use that business acumen I had acquired through my education to recognize that, you know, we need to connect into corporate social responsibility to then deliver into an environment where, you know, there is a need where we could help people through that CSR and actually build better communities and deliver better health care, whether it's for people or their pets or the environment, and really sort of lived through that One Health approach. And so, you know, I always say this, right, veterinarians are, are pioneering individuals, and we you know, we deal with so many species, we understand so many elements of what's happening around us. And um, I was doing a podcast recently, and they asked me about something that had stuck with me. And I really always come back to, you know, The Hill We Climb by poet laureate Amanda Gorman, Mm -hmm. which is that, you know, there is always light. And if we are only brave enough to see it, we are brave, we can be brave enough to be it. And I wanna say that to all of the young, incredibly people out there who wanna join this profession, who wanna do something good for community, be brave to go out there in spite of your shyness or your lack of confidence in being able to do the work. And actually um, we're, we're all here building communities together.
0: That's a wonderful message, a really wonderful message, Jennifer. It's a uh, it, you've had a fascinating journey, and I I, uh, you know, I wish you the best with everything you're doing now and moving it forward because you really uh, are on the cutting edge, uh, you know, of many areas, not just in the, the the care and the diagnostics, but everything you're doing with the uh, the Diversify Veterinary Medicine Coalition, everything you're doing with One Health. It really a fascinating uh, set of um, you know, initiatives you're, 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 championing and, and really wishing you the best with all of this um, for uh for everybody that's going to be listening to uh, this episode across the various podcast networks uh, or watching on our YouTube channel, you've been listening to Dr. Jennifer Ogier, Vice President of Medical Science and Innovation and Tech Diagnostics, part of Mars Veterinary Health, also Chair Board of Directors, Veterinarians Without Borders, Vice Chair of the Diversified Veterinary Medicine Coalition. Uh, Jennifer, once again, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to do this. Thanks everything you're doing and as we like to say on this show thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow not just for us but for all our pets really fascinating story
1: great thank you Ira it's been a pleasure to be here and I want to commend you on your great work and continue doing that highlighting amazing leaders that are championing good good causes
0: around the world thank you so much